Hi guys, welcome to another episode on the podcast. Got myself Brian Gold, my co-host Squints, and our new friend Dr. Austin Lake. Hey, how are you guys doing? Good. Thanks for being here, Austin. We yeah, appreciate you. I appreciate you hiking all the way out. Well, you know, California is a place I don't come to too often, but I think it's uh, you know, you guys got some good things going on here. It's uh, it's a fun place to visit for sure. We got the weather. We got the food. The weather's okay today, though. Yeah. Yeah, you just missed like a big heat wave, and oh, really? today is like the day that it it, it kind of cooled off. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. It seems like every year, uh, September and October tend to be like our hotter two months. Interesting. And uh, then right around Halloween time, or the week of, or even sometimes Halloween night, it's it, it like just drops off a cliff tanks. immediately. Yeah. Oh, it's, and it's free. raining and all sorts of things. Every yeah. time yeah. you go out on Halloween, I'm like, fuck. Yeah. yeah. This is terrible. <laughs> Why are we doing this? No, anyway, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on the show. I'm excited to ch chat about some some stuff. I'm not even totally sure what we're going to talk about, so we'll get into it. Let's uh, start with a little bit about yourself and your background and uh, sure. you know, how you ended up here sitting with us, kind of. It's a good question. I really don't even know. It's been kind of a weird transition. I think a lot of it happens, honestly, pre-COVID um, was when my business kind of took a turn and became more of a, of a holistic type business. I was running kind of like, um, it was, I called it Lake Wellness and Physiotherapy. It was kind of a combination of just mostly helping people with chronic pain, chronic fatigue, that kind of stuff. And it was great, but I, I just started seeing this trend with a lot of women specifically that were coming to the office. And a lot of them were on Synthroid, a lot of them on hormone replacement therapy, um, not really seeing results with their conventional doctor. And they just didn't know what to do. And so we just started focusing on what are solutions that they need to be implementing that actually help them to solve their problems versus just like figuring out more problems. And so through that kind of progression, um, did some postdoctorate training in functional medicine. And so I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with what that is or kind of how that functions, but it's essentially if like conventional medicine and holistic homeopathic medicine had a baby, it's kind of like the combination of the two. It's very rooted in science. It's not so much Eastern medicine. It's just about like, hey, what are root causes of people's problems? And how can the client or the patient actually figure out what are the interconnected pieces of their their problems and their systems? And so, for example, if you had somebody who comes to you with diabetes and is like, hey, you know, I, I don't want to be on medications. I want to be able to fix this naturally. What do I do? Conventionally, they're going to be like, well, I need a diet and exercise. They go home. They're like, well, what, what does that actually look like? What, what kind of foods do I need to eat? Like what kind of exercise, you know, how do I fix my sleep problems? How do I reduce my inflammation? Hey, like, here's your medication. There's something we can do for you. Whereas for us, it's like we want to be more focused on, hey, these foods are pro-inflammatory. Um, the reason you're not sleeping is because of X. Um, you're having issues with absorbing minerals because you're stressed or whatever else. And you start looking at those interconnected pieces that make a big difference long term. And so it starts to help them kind of unravel their problems and get them moving towards better health. And so that was kind of the the initial starting point for me, um, but there's a lot a lot of history that kind of goes in that. So I can I can talk more about younger years and things like that if you're interested in it. But so actually, trying to fix things. Yeah, that's that's <laughs> the main objective. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. We yeah. It's, hear, we don't hear a lot of those stories in healthcare these days anymore. No, actually, right? Never. No, and and honestly, I get why. You know, it's it for me. I started asking these questions because I was. I'll, I'll go back when I was doing a rotation. I was in Maui. I had a rotation in Maui, which was. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> it was pretty, pretty amazing. But yeah. the practitioner I was working with, he was working with chronic pain patients. And this was, I think this was like 2013, 2014. And I was 
working with him and he had this client come in that she is 64, had chronic pain for years. And uh, whenever he'd get her into the certain point of like this meditation, relaxation, breathing training thing that he would have her do, she would start coughing and start getting all distracted and she'd pull out of her relaxation and she'd, we'd have to end the session. Well, about six weeks of doing this, she finally got to this point where she kind of pushed past and she started doing some really deep breathing and relaxing quite a bit. And she kind of popped off the table and she's like, oh my gosh, like I just had this memory of, of when I was a five-year-old little girl and my dad was choking me. And she, up until that point, she never remembered anything in, of her childhood. She had to kind of like wow. block. And so it was through that training that her body was able to like release that trauma. Oh. And as a result, she had memories. And so that, that kind of trauma was actually causing a lot of her pain for years and years and years. She didn't know it. And so that was kind of my first exposure to this whole world of alternative healthcare. That's like, it's not so much the pills or the surgeries or these things that we feel like we have to go to a expensive practitioner to get care for. It's like, there are things that you can do to dramatically change your life and kind of get your health back on track and things like that. So that was kind of the early days for me as to, um, this whole other side of, of healthcare, but yeah. Does sleep play a big role in a lot of the stuff you treat? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I don't know the percentages of it, but it's, it's substantial in the sense that, you know, you look at one night of bad sleep and how it affects your immune system. Research has shown that it can reduce your natural killer T cells by as much as 30%. So those are the, the cells that kind of go out and, and help the initial process of your immune system and fighting off, you know, viruses and sicknesses and things like that. And so just having one night of bad sleep can start this, this whole process of your immune system struggling and not functioning at a high level. Now you, you add on layers of, you know, doing that for months or years and, you know, things like cancer and heart, or heart disease and cardiovascular disease and stroke, like everything else starts to rise. And I think the problem is, is that we don't ask enough questions about like, Hey, how are, how are you sleeping? Okay. Oh, you're not sleeping very well. Well, well, here's a, here's a sleep medication, which actually, if you look at, you know, Dr. Matthew Walker, he's a sleep expert. He has this book, why we sleep. He, he shows in depth how sleep medications are actually more harmful than not taking them. Yeah. You know, and so that can cause more problems down the road when it comes to your immune system and hormones and all sorts of other things too. So absolutely. Just your bio clock. I, uh, just seen something somewhere that, uh, and uh, for people working graveyard, that they now have to let them know that it's a known carcinogen to not <laughs> be on the 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 clock that you're supposed to be on. Sure. Having an alternative sleep cycle and that it is detrimental to your health. Yeah. Now HR has to dispose this information to people to let them know that you're basically taking a rise of risk of everything deadly because of. Hope it's worth the pay. <laughs> you working this schedule, right? Yeah. Because we're supposed to rise with the sun and and sleep with the and sleep with the moon, I guess. Huh? Yeah. Well, and, and to eat eat with the sun and sleep, with, you know, and then rest yeah. with the moon too. It's like, you know, the effects of of cortisol and melatonin on how you digest and your insulin. Um, you know, before two o'clock, and this is mixed research, and there'll be people that probably dispute this. Like, uh, Lane Norton's a guy that I'm not sure if you guys are familiar with him or not, I'm but. Not. He, uh, he's pretty big in this space and, and he, he kind of always plays devil's advocate, which is, 
he was saying that some of my stuff on my, on my page is horse crap, but it's fine. We'll kind of just move past that. But one of the things that I always say is that, you know, before two o'clock in the afternoon is when your body is most insulin sensitive, meaning that it's going to, it's going to be most effective with the sugar in your blood and putting it where it's supposed to go. And so after that time, it gets less and less sensitive. And this is where, again, if you're on the graveyard shift and your body is used to the light, or if it's getting artificial light and it's not getting natural light from the sun, your insulin is automatically going to be less effective. And so now you're eating food and it's going to have a greater or more negative effect on your hormones and how you, how you store the sugar as fat. And it can automatically make you in a, in, into a state of just more metabolically inflex, inflexible, I guess you could say. Wow. Yeah. So I'm fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, uh, cause I sleep. I mean, we talk about this quite a bit, you know, yeah, and you try to be as healthy as possible and you do go out of your way to do like all of these crazy things, experimental techniques and treatments and things. But at the root cause of everything is like, I think once again, going back to exercise and I'm not, obviously, you know, I'm hit or miss yeah. with this, but I also don't have the sleep issues or the things that you're complaining of. And I think that weight training will even three days a week solid of getting on a program with a trainer if you need to would help you get into a space where your sleep gets regulated based off of the exertion that you're physically exerting every day and i think that it could change all of the pain management and sleep issues that you're having just based off of getting fucking physical i mean yeah we used to go out every day and cut fucking wood and carry things and and live a different lifestyle based off of physicality sure. um, people worked in plants people worked with their hands machine shop these things and our whole essence has changed with technology and the way that things work today so it's hard i get why you're overstimulated and then when you do get your free time after your day you want to create and go in these directions you know yeah but uh i think a little physical effort will can put things back into its place a little bit and help with that you know yeah and it's i'm not a doctor but i feel mm -hmm. like that could be no and a lot of the stuff like you're saying is is foundational right like i think we we often get too esoteric with these these little details i'm like hey we're missing the big picture here like yeah. we don't need to get so hyper focused on yeah the specialized treatments or supplements or whatever else when like we're not doing the essentials with regulating circadian rhythm doing some basic movement you know, eating healthy food, like we, we kind of just get too off in the, in the, in the weeds on this stuff. So I think getting back to the actual exercise component, what that really does is it utilizes glycogen. It utilizes this energy component that, that we're kind of talking about. Whereas if you're not utilizing that, you're storing it, right? You're storing it as fat. This pops up as triglycerides. This pops up as, um, you know, fat around your organs, around your heart, around your pancreas, around your liver. And that's where we start seeing these other comorbidity comorbidities start to occur um so i think the easiest way to do it is just to ensure number one like are you sleeping if you are great are you hydrated great are you are you having normal bowel movements if you're not doing those things sufficiently exercise is an added form of stress right and so you do have to kind of uh, approach it with this this bigger picture of like am i checking other boxes of, of health because exercise in and of itself is not necessarily going to solve problems but it can help to kind of complete the picture of, of your total health profile i guess you could say and so for a lot of people they they overdo it with fasting they overdo it with exercise 
they 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 cut themselves short and they cause this issue of adaptive thermogenesis where your body starts to slow your metabolism down because it thinks hey you're in survival mode you're in starvation i'm going to start conserving calories and storing them away and then so the more you do do with cardio the more you do with restrictive eating the more you do with lack of sleep it just worsens the issue and you start seeing more of a slow metabolism so you just have to be careful with it on the um fasting what it there's so many people talking about it these yeah. days. We go to dinner with friends. They're like, oh, I eat once a day. I starve myself for 24 hours. I'm like, yeah. I'm not starving myself for 24 hours. You're out of your mind. Yeah. What is, in your opinion, the best way to do fasting or if you even recommend it at all? Yeah, that's, um, again, in my opinion, there are millions of opinions on this. Um, when I work with my female clients, which is primarily who I work with, um, I always, I always have this kind of checkpoint, like that thing I was referring to earlier. It's like, if, if they are, okay, so I guess we, we always start with, with a meal plan and make sure they're eating the right foods, reducing inflammation. Um, then we start to look at how can we hydrate their cells and make sure they're actually absorbing, you know, sodium, potassium in the cell and things like that. And then we start to ask the question of like, you know, where are you at your sleep and, and all that. And so for checking those boxes, that fourth category is typically fasting. But you don't, you don't want to rush in too soon with it. So it's the right answer is it's individualized. Men probably can be, be a little bit more extreme than women because men's hormones are a lot more stable um, than women's are. Women, I typically start with like a 14-hour fast and progress up as they become more metabolically stable. Um, and the way we look at this is just looking at thyroid. You know, how much of a dose of thyroid medication are they on? Are they seeing re a reduction in the thyroid medication? Are they, are they gaining weight or are they losing weight naturally? Are they having to, um, whenever, you, whenever you're having a weight loss, you have to kind of ask yourself, like, are you seeing a, a muscle loss or a fat loss? A, a lot of issues we see with this new medication, Wagovi or um, Ozempic, it's like they're seeing a muscle loss, it's right? deteriorating tissue. Yeah, it's deteriorating good tissue. Yeah. And so that That's affects, not a good thing. no, it affects this thermogenesis aspect that we're talking about. And so long-term. Uh, I just seen something, sorry to interrupt. No, you're I good. I saw that your body index, your body fat index actually rises as they lose weight, which is like. Big problem. That's fucking bad news. <laughs> yeah. And their energy is going way down. Yeah. And you, yeah. And see so liver issues, thyroid cancer. So like that's, that's the whole risk you run. So like the, the intermittent fasting question to me is like, I don't know, man, like it really depends on you and where you're, where you're at in your journey. So I think when you're just looking at the science behind it, you'll start to see around the 24 hour mark autophagy, which is this process of the, the cells kind of cleaning themselves up really starts to increase around that 24 hour mark. I've had a lot of success around the 16 to 18 hour mark where you really start to see insulin resistance go down. You start to see weight loss. You start to see improved energy, um, reduction inflammation. So it just kind of depends. Some people recommend like a three day water fast, like that's great for your cells. And especially if you have any kind of diagnoses that are. How often is somebody supposed to do this? I mean, I've seen people say once a month, uh, I don't know. It's every two weeks. I mean, it seems a little extreme for anybody living a modern yeah Work schedule also three days is kind of a sounds wild i mean it's it could be i mean some people handle it better than others but yeah. i feel like it could be dangerous in the sense of somebody being you know out running around la malnourished trying to 
you know, not everybody can sit at home for three days and right and get through it. You know, there, there is this point in which you, if you are hydrated, that's the biggest thing. And yeah. if you are staying hydrated, where there's this point where after that 24 hours, your body will start to, you know, starts burning ketones and start getting. You do have energy that you can rely on, and so you're not like you're you're running dry. Um, your body can pull from those resources for a while. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I, I have never recommended more than like a 24 hour fast personally for my clients, but I know people that recommend three days, four we days. We see it in uh, spirituality and different sure. uh, backgrounds that yeah. fasting is part of a lot of these religious ceremonies. Yep. So it's obviously been yeah, I mean, you'll have part of our life for, 40 for days thousands is, uh, of years. 40 days is kind of that mark where your body can really push itself um, without food and just then go in with 40 days. 40 days. Wow. It's kind of the upper limit there. But. Yeah, I was just talking about like like Passover and these other these other things where they or I know uh, that uh, what does do they fast during Ramadan? I think so, right? Maybe. Um, I'm not sure. Are they sustained from certain things? Yeah. Uh, I think uh, they're just eating like once a day, very small meals. Is that? Yeah. yeah. I don't want to misquote here. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, um, but I do know that like even small like fasts are part of that was part of our life mm -hmm. through. I'm sure more than even spirituality, but uh, practicality. Yeah, part of practicality that these religious things developed, right? Yeah, I think you, you kind of mentioned before like the hunter gatherer thing, like going out and just getting your food. Like it just took effort, and then you you may have periods of time where you didn't eat or you stored up for a while and you ate a lot and i think when you look at there's also this whole conversation that i'm not an expert on by any means but just looking at the seasons and eating with the seasons yeah you know typically if you're in the winter time your your eating There's patterns are going to change yeah yeah versus the summertime and so there's just a lot of factors you have to consider i always get back to the to the sunlight like if you can just pay attention to the sun and if you are having your circadian rhythm in rhythm with with the natural cycles of the day that's that's the best. Like, I think if you can just stick to that, that's why I always say like that 80, I usually say 80% of your calories before two o'clock is, is best for most people. Um, and then after that, you want to limit calories, especially after six o'clock is when you'll see. Regardless of the time you rise. Regardless. I mean, well, if you're, if you're, if you're a, if you're a true graveyard shift worker, I think that's a different conversation. Like you have to flip your day. And that's what I, if I usually recommend to my clients that have that shift, like they just have to treat their daytime like their nighttime and they have to darken the lights they have to find some natural uh light resources during the nighttime which is difficult but you can use different sources for for lighting things like that that aren't you know led i'm not saying you guys have led lights in here but like that aren't led lights or uh not led what's the term um fluorescent fluorescent yeah like the yucky fluorescent lights and so that there's just this whole conversation but most of us are just getting too much artificial light we're getting too too much emfs we're getting too much fake food we're just getting too much garbage you know it's just kind of a whole lot of, of of an attack on our system talking about circadian rhythm are you a fan of like having red lights swap on at night versus your regular halogen fluorescent led yeah so yeah if you, if you can use like obviously the light uh, blue light blocking glasses like that's great um the actual red lights i i always say just dim the lights first if you can if you just have regular lights in your house just dim them you know um, use lamps if you have to or dark shades but I, i've never i haven't looked in a ton into actual red lights i know red light therapy is the whole thing is that what you're referring to or no no no, just just darker lights darker lights instead of you know yeah the incandescents and everything giving off that hue yeah it should help yeah it, i mean other people have said it helps i don't know for sure yeah i've heard it mentioned a couple times i haven't really done my homework on it yeah yeah, I mean, it's really it really comes down to your pineal gland is what what the focus is. So your pineal gland is is what is 
stimulating the release of melatonin. And so that's what's interpreting light throughout the day. And so if you're around six o'clock at night, your pineal gland should start to release more melatonin. And as midnight comes, if you're a regular daytime worker, um, it should be at its peak. And then it should start to fall throughout the, the middle of the night and cortisol should kind of work opposite of that. There's kind of like a dance between the two of them. And so a lot of people do things that stimulate cortisol at night versus stimulating melatonin. And so that's why they have a hard time falling asleep or staying asleep. Um, and so you have to kind of consider those different factors, you know, like blue light, that's why blue light is such a big factor is it stimulates more cortisol, you know, eating after six o'clock at night can stimulate more cortisol. Watching TV can stimulate cortisol, you know, being on your phone, like all those things are, are just playing into the cortisol rising versus falling. And that's where you start having issues with the quality of your sleep throughout the night. Yeah. Mine starts to rise at eight o'clock and tapers off around two. Yeah. It's two at two in the morning. So there, there's a couple of different things to, to consider. One, um, so there's, it's just, it's kind of a, a in-depth conversation, but I think to kind of, he said two in the morning <laughs> yeah. and I tested it multiple times. I'm like, fuck it is right. Yeah. So you just, you have to control the variables the best you can, right? Like if, if there are things that you aren't controlling for, that's where you start. Right. And so I guess the question is like, how, how do you do from six o'clock until bedtime? Like, what are you doing? Like, that's the question. Oh, I'm on my computer. I'm talking to people on the phone. I am not winding down. Have you tried enough. to adjust your, your wake schedule just to offset it? Like yeah. where you're just, I'm going to make a commitment to get up at 5 a.m. And, uh, oh no, not happy. Oof. Fuck but, that. but I mean, uh, I mean, but you got to remember I'm an anomaly. And the reason why I say that is I have a pituitary adenoma, which mm. is secreting everything. So. I have to artificially sure. get everything back to normal ish. Yeah. Which then, okay, since I'm fucking with everything on that time, am I taking my meds at the same time every day, like clockwork? Yeah. That, am I jumping sense. time zones weekly? And then my meds shifted by five hours or six hours because of that. Mm -hmm. And that's a variable that I have a hard time controlling. Cause if I'm on that time zone, do I really want to wake up on my main time zone? take my thyroid, take everything else, and then risk being wired from that time when sure. I should be sleeping. That is more complex. Um, and it, unfortunately, it's been a guessing game for the last 10 years of playing with shit because there is no book written on managing hormones, just yeah. like you do it. And then you add my complexity of it. And it's like, that's where this experimental thing kind of comes into play and, and having having somebody that you were working with consistently to kind of walk you through a process right and even though the process may not be fully understood up front it's like this is what we got to do phase one phase two phase three and kind of keep progressing and this is why it is difficult i think this is why it's even more difficult in our modern day days we have google that allows us to kind of search certain things and learn a lot and, and figure out a lot of different options that are out there but it still causes a lot of analysis paralysis right like you don't know what direction to go and i think that's why it can be very beneficial to have somebody say like hey Based on my experience working with people like yourself, this is the next step. And let's take that step properly and make sure we're checking these boxes. And if you don't, it's really just throwing things at the wall and see if they stick, which is not great. And I don't, I'm not saying that's what you've done. No, but. well, that's what doctors did for like the first yeah. two years. Right. Till I was, I was like, dude, I have no energy. They're like, you're fat, go work out. <laughs> I don't have any energy to work out. And then lo and behold, my testosterone was 100. Really? They're like, did you abuse steroids? I'm like, I'm 220 pounds. Yeah. Does it look like I fucking abuse steroids? <laughs> yeah. Um, but getting back to the sleep-wake cycle, I think the, bit, the thing that I've noticed to be most effective is 
having an alarm clock for your bedtime is is better than the wake up time. Like if you can wake up, let your body wake you up naturally. Yeah, that, I don't set an alarm in the morning. I just wake up when I wake up. That's great. Um, the early morning sunlight is the next thing that will help to dictate your your sleep cycle. And so that if you're getting exposure in the morning time, it will start to cue your pineal gland and kind of tell it what time it is, essentially. The other aspect of it is is breakfast. And this is where I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of breakfast, where a lot of people don't really recommend breakfast, especially the big fasting people. Um, and you can fast and still have breakfast. Like you, you don't have to sacrifice breakfast to, to fast. But eating a, a, a high fat, high protein breakfast earlier in the day, it really does help to set your sleep-wake cycle as well. So what would you eat, for example, for yourself in the morning? So I, I'll we'll eat like... Um, like a breakfast meat with sweet potatoes and avocado like that's like a breakfast we'll do quite a bit and it's like it's high breakfast fat. meat sweet potatoes avocado yep something about high fat yep and um it satiates you it's, it's it controls your blood sugar pretty well um i'm not what a kind fan. of breakfast meat you're talking bacon or sausage or yeah i mean something it, breakfast i mean you can use ground steak, beef ground yeah beef. you can use steak you can use whatever you want but like a lot of bacon it's full of nitrates and preservatives so yeah. you gotta be careful of that a lot of seemingly turkey bacon things of that nature so you got to be careful it still needs to be high quality beef right yeah. sweet potatoes are one of my favorites because they are i think there was a study that like they rated them as like the top vegetable for whatever reason like they're 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 really um they really help your blood sugar they're a lower glycemic index and they they do help to kind of satiate you pretty well too and they're and i think they're tasty they're potatoes. delicious yeah. yeah i think they're amazing but no like, eggs uh so this kind of gets into more of this um autoimmunity aspect um most one of my clients is a scientist she studied eggs and this is just her word i haven't looked into this myself but she said that when if you're buying eggs in the store no matter how they're raised they kind of come out the same way yeah we can see that yeah and so i've had a lot of clients not do well with eggs um it's one of the first things i have them cut out and then the first thing we'll add back in is usually like egg yolks i think or egg whites i always forget it's on my list. I have a list, but um, we'll add one of those in, and it's usually farm raised. Like if we can get somebody that has eggs, that has a chicken, that the like, orange can, kind, yeah, that are all different real eggs. sizes. Yeah, right. <laughs> so you're going to the <laughs> farmer, the farmers farmers market exactly where like they got crap still on them. Like yeah, those. yeah. If you can get those, those are the those are great to test with to see how you respond to them. If you yeah. if you don't know that, it could be a, a pro-inflammatory issue for you. So eggs are kind of like it just depends. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but yeah, getting back to your sleep cycle. So then I would say the other thing to consider is just is, is serotonin. So serotonin is 95% of it is made in your gut. So if you're having gut dysfunction, which most of us are to a certain capacity, you may not be producing as much serotonin, which then helps you to produce melatonin. So you could be having some kind of root cause deficiency issue that then would prevent you from having more stabilization of your cortisol while you are trying to sleep. So even if you were sleeping and you were having lower cortisol, but your melatonin wasn't high enough, you'd be probably more of like a light sleeper and not getting good depth of sleep. Yeah. According to my tracker ring, I think I get like 40 minutes of REM. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's not good. huh? No. Yeah. And so, I mean, what, there's... how much REM sleep are you supposed to be in a couple hours or something? Yeah. It's like hour and a half, two hours. Like it's kind of that, it's so that you're, far off. you're close, but you want to look at your, your, your stages of sleep, you know, if you're getting, Oh, I I'm up yeah, third, but if you're not sleeping very much, like that's, that's probably the issue. Well, What's even it? if like I'll lay in bed for eight hours, it'll show I've been up like 25 times. How long have you been wearing the trackers? Two months now. How has that affected anything of you being conscious of monitoring it? Has it gotten better? Or has it stayed the same? 
Is and some conscious thought. I'm more thinking about it now. Okay. Um, since I've been jumping time zones, I kind of fucked myself a little bit. But now that I'm back in, but you're obviously putting attention to it because oh, you're yeah. tracking it. Yeah. yeah so. Um, and then like that alarm every night at 9:45, my phone vibrates and says, "Hey, start winding down for bed, stupid." Mine does too. That's interesting that they do that now. Okay. And I'm like, Apple. I prefer that alarm versus the other alarm. Sure. And then, last thing I want to hear in the morning is any kind of alarm. Yeah. I'm like, fuck, my sleep's so fucked. Like, whenever my body wants to get up, whether it's been 45 minutes or four hours, hey, okay, my body feels good enough to function throughout the day. Like, two, three o'clock, I'm like, oh, a 20 minute nap sounds fucking amazing yeah, right now. Yeah, sure. A little siesta. Yeah. I get it maybe like twice a week. Yeah. It's Most of the time I just power through, but I don't do caffeine or any of that stuff. I just. Good. Water and iced tea once in a while. Do you take any anything before bed for sleep? Um, I forget which magnesium, but one of them. Glycinate or three and eight? Glycinate. Okay. Yeah. That helps. Um, helps mostly with cortisol and kind of calming your brain. Do you have like racing thoughts ever or is it just like. Oh, yeah. My brain's always. Okay. So then I would look at three and eight would be more of your magnesium of choice. It helps. It crosses the blood brain barrier and it's a lot more effective at kind of calming your brain i just got a spray from aloe that is uh absorbable through the skin it's pretty cool is it three is that three and eight in it i think so really? yeah i think yeah, it's have complex and there's like a bunch of different magnesium. yeah but uh it's absorbable through the skin it's just like an oil you can spray it on you they tell you to spray like an area that's sore or whatever usually mm. and then but it does soak through pretty well yeah there's there's some companies that only do sprays and topical treatments because they they say it absorbs better it doesn't pass your digestive tract and... that's exactly what they explained yeah. to me because well, so it's 40 bucks bro it's a big bottle it smells good uh they got me at the register i was buying gym uh, nice. dress and uh i ended up with a bottle i just ended up with a bag of all of their their products which were all pretty amazing actually i was impressed hmm. They had a natural deodorant and some lotion. Well, they say when you soaks and stuff. So when you take stuff orally, seventy percent of it is lost mm -hmm. by the time you actually start to absorb. Yeah, yeah. So this this kind of gets in. This is a good segue into another conversation. I feel like is applicable, but this is something that it, it, it's just the, our food is supposed to be the source of this stuff, right? Like we're mm -hmm. supposed to get it through our food, like we were for years and years. And back in the '30s, you know, they were looking at soil depletion and trying to figure out ways to solve that problem and and never came up with a solution. Well, they can't monocrop. Yeah. And so, yeah, they create, you know, genetically modified organisms so they can spray it with glyphosate. It's kind of like yeah. an, end up being what they and did. And they just monocrop, which is like the worst possible thing because no the diversity. soil is never being renewed, right? Yeah. So seasonally farming, you would, you know, plant seasonal. And these things, they grow in certain seasons because they all work off of each other's things. So sure. it makes a very soil-rich environment, which our foods were all fortified with all of these different minerals. Some leave some, some take some, some take some, some yeah. leave some. some it's called them. symbiotic relationship. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, so it, we're in this situation where we started monocropping for, for money and you've basically ruined some of the most fertile soil on yeah. earth. And now the, you know, nothing is as nutrient dense as it once was. And we're trying to compensate with all of these things. Yeah. Am, I, am I on the? No, yeah. Page? I mean, I, I'm not an expert on that topic, but I, I just I, understand farming. Yeah, because I think of my you're background, right. so that's kind of like I've read into that a lot. Nice. You know. Um, yeah. But that's kind of where we are, right? Yeah, and I think what's what's expedited that process is 
is the genetically modified organisms. And like the reason they did that was just so that they could spray it with weed killer and not kill the crop, but they could kill the weed, right? Yeah. So that as a result, you those like glyphosate, it chelates or it grabs onto the minerals in the plant so that the plant or the not the plant, but the weed so that the weed dies. But the problem is you get some of that depletion of the crop as well. And then you also get the glyphosate in the crop. And so now, you know, there was a study back in 2013 where they looked at the urine of the, the study subjects and 80% of them had glyphosate in their urine. At this point in time, you know, 10 years later, it's probably all of us to a certain extent, they found on the North and South Pole, they found glyphosate and so it's everywhere. So that also affects this enzyme known as uh, cytochrome P450, which then can have a pretty big effect on your intestinal lining of your stomach, your small intestine specifically. And that's where you start seeing issues like with leaky gut and intest enhanced intestinal permeability. And basically, are you guys familiar with that or aware of that? Leaky, of, uh, leaky uh, gut, yeah. And, yeah. and then SIBO has been the yeah. new topic. Yep. So that's that's where that problem is then perpetuated, in my opinion. I think we're, we're getting demineralization in, in our crops. We're not getting it in our in our bodies. We're then having to take things like high doses of magnesium and high doses of, you know, phosphorus or whatever else just to like function at a decent level. We're drinking things like caffeine all the time that are depleting these minerals and making it this vicious cycle to where if you have low magnesium, you have higher cortisol. And if you have higher cortisol, you have lower magnesium and it creates this very vicious cycle. And so the real issue, in my opinion, is is the things like the glyphosate and how you can go to Italy, like, you know, you and I were there a couple weeks ago and they don't have glyphosate, like they don't have GMOs, like they don't have that in their food. And so you can go there and eat bread and eat the pasta and you're not going to have a similar response because your body can eat those things that we've been eating it for, for generations, right? We're now eating, you know, proteins that are not the same and in, in gluten that are causing all these kind of responses in our immune system because our immune system is like a foreign object, right? Like it's like, this isn't supposed to be here. And now you have autoimmunity that's, I think I read a stat the other day, it's like, it's doubled or tripled in the last like 20 years, you know, and, and, and it's, it's happening more to women than it is to men, but it's just, it's happening more in developed countries than it is in undeveloped countries. Yeah. That's a big issue. So it should be a big eye opener that obviously we have something wrong. No. Right. Yeah. And, and the that's... statistics say that the Amish and the, and the, the guys in the Amazon and the rainforest and stuff that have been living and eating the same way for years yeah. have not seen a rise in all of these issues, then yeah, maybe it's us, right? Yeah, maybe it's our lifestyle. Maybe it's our our, our farming practices. Maybe it's our you know, yeah, things that we're uh, subjecting ourselves to. Mm -hmm. And the problem is, there's just so many things you could talk about in this whole conversation. But it, it really gets back to who you go, who, who you trust in in culture, like who you trust in in the literature, and and like where where do you get your information from? Like we were talking about before the show, it's like. There's so many sources of information telling different sides of the story and we're always like trying to figure out what the truth is right like just trying to that's why i want to be in your guys show it's like this is very applicable to your guys' show because it's like it's not always fun to talk about and it's not people don't like hearing it but part of what really drove me into this more holistic field was just looking at all the success stories of people that were healing and, and reversing these chronic diseases and fixing these things that they told they couldn't fix right and then I look at the conventional mainstream literature and it's like th those things are quackery, you know, they're un unfounded and it's, it's, it's illegitimate and all those kind of things like that. 
I'm just like, well, anecdotally, like it seems to work, you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> I don't know where this is coming from. And so I started looking back in the history of, of again, our world and specifically the United States. And this is where like, you know, people like the Rockefellers and all that kind of stuff that own petroleum and that were involved in um, petrochemicals and all that kind of stuff really started to change the literature around mainstream conventional medicine from this more homeopathic, you know, um, more native because like back in the day like americas were really reliant on like native american medicinal medicines and things like that and were very natural in that sense and then conventional medicine comes along they figure out like hey we can synthesize vitamins and we can also make these things called pharmaceuticals and we can use petroleum when, year, when what year was that like crossover so 1910 is when the flexion report came out and that was funded by andrew carnegie i believe and um uh what's his name um rockefeller john d rockefeller and i think 1918 1919 is when they started to really push it out into literature in the med schools and things like that they founded the american medical association and that's when they started to standardize medicine in the united states and they really started to push pharmaceuticals um just because there was a bunch of profit to be made and yeah. and the, the language started to change from anything that wasn't that was quackery and that's when this whole quackery term kind of came into it snake oil yeah just like if this isn't if it doesn't comply with what we say witchcraft, right? it's witchcraft it's quackery it's it's unfounded don't trust it right yeah. and so that's been going on since the early 1900s and it's only gotten worse and i think honestly until 2020 and the pandemic hit most people were very content with that narrative and i think more people are now are like i think i think maybe i need to look elsewhere to get help yeah because i don't know if i can trust this anymore yeah so the smart people at least yeah yeah or just the desperate people desperate yeah desperation is the first key right because mm -hmm. when you have no other answer and they look you in your face and tell you we don't have anything else that can help you yeah you know what i mean and yeah. it seems that the thing is to sustain you see people age and our parents and grandparents generation with their pillbox mm -hmm. and they're this and this and this and this and this and you're like well fuck, man i don't know that Maybe this isn't the right line of uh, of things to actually sure. heal the body or get it on a on a good path, right? Yeah. Um, no, yeah. It's crazy how much shit they just pump into that generation as well. Like my uncle who's dealing with dementia, they just keep giving him more and more shit, which stacks on top. I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's the first guinea pig generation, right? Yeah. They were doing live testing on human beings, so like. We're all part of the science experiment in some way, shape, or form, right? Yeah. And I mean, that's evolution, but sure. in the same sense, like, you know. But even now, like, statins are shown to cause dementia, and you're giving it to patients who have dementia. Well, fuck it. Let them have high cholesterol and reduce the dementia. Yeah. And or change the f diet and fucking keep moving. Or, or analyze, like, what is actually wrong with their cholesterol? Are you just looking at, looking at total cholesterol, or are you looking at... APOB and LP little a, which are much more predictable for a cardiovascular event than just LDL or low HDL or triglyceride. I mean, a triglyceride to HDL ratio is still important. You got to pay attention to that, but that's something that can very easily be fixed. And it's, it's when, again, if you start to deplete cholesterol, that is the main, that is what you use to build hormones. Like you have to have cholesterol to make sex hormones. If you don't have it, you can't do it. And so your brain also really loves fat it loves cholesterol and so it needs that to to survive and a lot of people deplete coq10 via the statin and then they have muscle problems they have brain problems alzheimer's all that kind of issue and they have 
low libido and they have a terrible existence, right? Like, yeah. like why even, <laughs> like why even exist, you know, after yeah. a while? Yeah. Yeah. Like I found for me just doing the ketogenic diet, which after a while I got tired of a lot of those foods, but my hormones balanced the best doing that. Yeah. And just, I got tired of bacon, got tired of it's a lot of work, avocado cheese. Like I really don't want avocado anymore. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot. And again, I think I, I'm not, I'm not strictly keto or anything like that. I think it really depends on the person. A lot of women go keto too soon and it, it makes their hormonal situation a little bit worse because your thyroid does like some carbs. Usually about 20, 25% of your plate, I think is a good amount, but some people swear by a ketogenic diet. I think it really just comes down to what source of carbs are you eating? Like, that's what I've noticed again, is the bigger issue of, are you eating the breads, the pastas, all that kind of stuff that are probably sprayed with glyphosate and destroying your gut and increasing your autoimmunity and increasing your inflammation and all that kind of stuff. Like that's the bigger issue than just carbs themselves, in my opinion, that's just what I've seen. Let me ask you a question. Since we're on the forefront of like AI technology, obviously it's going to be directed in healthcare quite a bit. Yeah. Um, it's going to take a lot of the human error out of diagnoses, obviously, you know, they're mm -hmm. going to keep relying on the machine because the machine's probably going to be more accurate than, sure. than most people are. Um, how, what are your opinions and feelings on this? Yeah, I've been thinking about this a little bit. Um, I think there's, I think the thing that's AI is going to help the most with initially is just speed. Yeah. Right. So for example, like when I, when I'm writing a, a note for a client, it's like, I can use part of AI and bust that thing out so much faster and get to more of the diagnostic thought process than I, I would have before. I can get it, I can get there faster. I do think it's just a matter of time before AI is kind of running the show yeah. and it's, it's inevitable because the more we feed into it, the better it gets. And I think. I think people are afraid to say that because they don't want to scare practitioners out there and, and take away their jobs. But there's there's probably going to get down to where it's more just uh, AI is helping to assist in the diagnosis and then helping to assist in the the follow up and, and all the, the assistant type dirty work that you'd have to do. And then humans are probably going to be there kind of just helping to facilitate that, unfortunately. But I could be completely wrong. I, I hope I'm wrong, you know, because. I think people need to be still working with people and, and have a yeah. human connection. But, but I also think your line of work would kind of fall by the wayside. Yeah. Which isn't a good thing. It will. But the one thing, one thing that you'll realize that I've realized, it's taken me a while to realize it's not about information. It's about implementation. Yeah. Right. And so people need help to implement. And that's where that human connection is, is most critical. Everyone has Google. Everyone can look up a million different things. But if you say, hey, Susie, I understand what you're going through. I know you've had a, a rough last 10 years. Your husband died. You know, you're going through a lot of stress. Let's try doing this one thing and making sure this is a focus for your, for your next couple of weeks. Like, you think you can do that? Like, a machine can't do that, you know? And so, like, there's always going to be that human connection to help with the implementation, I think, will be... But again, that's that gets to more of, like... And that's really what I am now is just a glorified health coach. Like, I just help coach people through difficult situations. That's kind of what we need from a practitioner, though, no? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if I'm not going to a surgeon because I got a broken bone or something that's protruding or obviously wrong, then right. like my health practitioner should be making a plan with me to improve my health based off of not treating a symptom, but figuring out what and why and, and what we can do to to get on a better path, right? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I mean, if you guys got in a car accident, you wouldn't want to call me. Like, I would be the worst person to help you. Yeah, like, that's I don't the like problem. Yeah. You want to go to a trauma center. Yeah, that's what they do. That's right. I want a trauma surgeon. Yeah, you should. <laughs> I drop things all the time. Um, 
Yeah, and I think this is where the mindset stuff comes into it quite a bit with people's health. It's not, it's, it's so much more about the belief that, that you being healthy matters. Like people don't really value themselves enough to think that their health is even a factor in their life. Like they don't think they, they matter. And I think that gets back to trauma again. Like if you have trauma, whether it's a big trauma or a bunch of little traumas, those traumas have been shown to increase rate of self-sabotage where you, where you, in your relationships, your, your finances, your health, like you're just more likely to sabotage your life because you have this like worth issue. And like, that's, that's a big problem, I think, for a lot of people. I, I would agree. I think that we uh, definitely don't give credit to our significance individually across the board. Mm -hmm. uh, and at, in a whole, you know what I mean? Obviously, it's like, you know, with one person discounting themselves and then a wave of that, then you have a society whose morale is low, which causes sure. all types of systemic issues that transcend generations after yeah. that, right? Generationally, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah. You're kind of in a rut with that, I feel like now, right? Yeah. Where we're kind of in a place where, you know, nobody has a lot of answers, a lot of opinions, not a lot of, of answers. We're bombarded with information mm -hmm. and it's hard to like kind of stay in a, in a steady path. Yeah. Well, I think there's this issue of consumerism and creation, you know, creationism. I think too much of us are wanting to consume all the time. It's a, it's a dopamine hit all day long. And we, we don't want to put the work in to create and creating good health takes a lot of work.